about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we do ask you to stir us up tonight. Don't leave us apathetic. As we listen to your voice, begin new things. In 2018, we want fruit. In 2018, we want to know you more deeply. And so we ask, as we consider your word now, that you would begin it for the glory of Jesus alone. Amen. As you heard in the video, uh, we are talking about Colossians, and we're having a think about fruit, fruitful faith uh, throughout this whole series. Now, I don't know, really know what comes into your mind when you think of fruit at the moment, perhaps not the ones in, on the screen right now. Uh, I think of my backyard, which in the last few weeks, Cass and I have kind of done our backyard blitz. Uh, it kind of, at the beginning, looked like uh, a post-apocalyptic wasteland, you know, those kind of movies, that was our backyard. Just one kind of uh, bit where zombies lived. And we've kind of, t- we've tiered it, we've laid grass, we've planted trees, we've planted herbs, and now is the season of fruit. And so when I think of fruit, I'm thinking of my garden, I'm thinking, this is great, zombie apocalypse, to kind of Garden of Eden, we're ready to go. But we're not talking about physical fruit, are we? Talking about spiritual fruit. I met someone in Newtown recently who described themselves as a spiritual atheist, which I found fascinating. Uh, I I want to know so much about that. And it got me thinking about the word spiritual and the way we use it as a culture. And the the whole bunch of things that are kind of under the lid of that word as we 
Think about it. It kind of refers to some ideas that are kind of maybe less than scientific at times, ideas about well-being, things that are mystical, things that connect us with meaning, things that kind of move beyond the physical in some way. It's that space between all those things that we find hard to name. Even in a culture that's moved beyond God, we still find ourselves longing for spirituality of some kind. And indeed, on offer for us are all types of spirituality. Uh, It's a $10 billion a year business, the spiritual fruit business. We have commercialized it fully. You can try a product, fail at it, and find a new one by Tuesday. Our world, in a lot of ways, is quite similar to the world of the Colossians. A spiritual smorgasbord of which Jesus becomes one part. And what Paul says to the Colossians is that if you want rich, authentic, beautiful, full spirituality, then you are looking for Jesus Christ. And really the question that Paul and I think the Lord Jesus himself wants to ask us as we read Colossians, is are we actually bearing spiritual fruit? Does our faith show evidence of that? That's the journey I want to invite you into through this series. And don't hear me saying I'm asking you to take up a spiritual gardening project. Because Christian spirituality, unlike every spirituality on earth, is not something that you can do in your own power. Rather, you need the Lord Jesus Christ himself by his spirit to become your gardener and to bear fruit in you. So what I want to do this evening as we look at the opening 14 verses of this letter is lay four foundations for spiritual fruit that we see that will kind of launch us in through the rest of the book. The first one is this, spiritual fruit grows from the gospel. Spiritual fruit grows from the gospel. Have a look at verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. Paul pictures the gospel as the reason why the Colossians have any spirituality at all. In the opening of this letter, he's calling back their attention to the thing, the the source, the root of their spiritual existence. He said, it changed for you when you heard literally the good news proclaimed to you. The announcement of something tremendous that had happened in Jesus Christ. He underlies this in verse 5 by calling it the word of truth, the gospel. In the spiritual smorgasbord of the $10 billion industry, the announcement of Jesus Christ is the one that in truth bears fruit. He doesn't really unpack for us straight away what he means by gospel. But he does hint at it. 
He talks about the moment when you realize the grace of God, His unmerited love and favor towards you despite who you are. Something about that penny dropping undoes and changes everything. Now, when I read verse 6, I think of uh, my backyard again. Sorry, you're going to hear about my backyard a lot tonight. I don't know. It just sort of happened. And I invited my dad over to garden with me because he actually knows things about gardening. And we were doing some things, and he looked over at some pots that I had on the side and had some soil in them. And um, he said, what are you doing with those plants? I'm like, they're not plants, they're weeds. And he said, well, one of them is a tomato plant. So you might want to plant that. I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So I planted it, and it's taken over my backyard pretty much. This thing I have to basically shackle in place so it doesn't, like it's not invited. I didn't ask it to be there. And it's got 12 tomatoes, and it's like, you know, it's going to kill my eggplant kind of crop. (laughs) When Paul talks about the the fruit that the grace of God bears, it's kind of like a wild tomato plant. He says, it's uninvited, but everywhere where the grace of God is heard under heaven to the very ends of the earth, when it is heard, it is bearing fruit and growing wildly out of control. Because that is what the gospel does when it goes out. It bears spiritual fruit. The question is, why? Why does the grace of God, when it the penny drops in your soul, why does it actually transform you? And we get a picture of this a bit earlier in verse 4 and 5. He gives thanks for the Colossians because he's heard of their faith in Jesus Christ, the love, he has for, the love they have for the saints. There's some spiritual fruit, faith and love. He then says that this faith and love springs up, great gardening word, springs up from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. Spiritual fruit from the gospel. But notice the way he describes it. Hope is the one that energizes and activates the other two. There's something about the grace of God that gives you a hope that turns your world upside down. He describes this hope as stored up for you in heaven. Some sort of eternal inheritance, as he uses the word in verse 12, that we've been qualified for. Some sort of eternal thing that is waiting for us. In the good news is the promise, a free gift of something eternally, securely housed for you that you will one day receive. Later on, he describes what is stored up in heaven. It is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes, we will have the fullness of of life. That is the hope that the gospel brings. But why does it produce faith and love? Well, the reason it does that is because it is evidence of God's kindness, love, and unfailing goodness toward us. John Calvin, the great reformer, said that faith is not some spiritual ninja thing you can do, but faith is a sure and certain sense of God's goodness toward you, pressed in on your heart by the promises of God and the Holy Spirit. Faith is when you are sure beyond a doubt that God is for you because of what Jesus has done. And the hope of heaven 
breeds that in our hearts. And when we realize how much we are loved by God, it flows out in love to others. And so the promise of eternal treasure in the gospel, of something stored for us, unleashes spiritual fruit in a way that nothing else can. Spiritual fruit flows from the gospel alone. You know, one of the things I think we struggle with in Sydney with spirituality is that it's hard to live in Sydney and not feel like you've arrived already. It's so pretty and we're so wealthy and we have issues. We have plenty of issues, but most of life is just so good. And one of the reasons why spiritual lives get stunted in this city is that we forget that fullness is actually coming. It's not now, it's later. It's where Jesus is and he will bring it to us and we can't experience it now. And we kind of lose our hope. And when we lose our hope, we lose our faith and we lose our love. One of the reasons why your spiritual fruit might be stunted is because you've lost the sense of eternal things. Lost your heavenly hope. It is the good news of that that breathes fruit. That's the first thing. Spiritual fruit comes from the gospel. But the second thing is this. Spiritual fruit is not about you. It is about us. Spiritual fruit is not about you. It is about us. You know, one of the incredible things about this part of the letter is that Paul doesn't know the Colossians. He's never met them. He sent his mate Epaphras, he says in verse 7, his faithful worker, his good friend who he trusted. And he went to Colossae and preached the gospel and has come back. And Paul knows nothing about the Colossians, but he is deeply invested in them. He prays for them continually. He gives thanks for people he's never met, often, frequently. You see, Paul isn't just interested in the spiritual fruit in him and around him, he's interested in the spiritual fruit that the grace of God bears in every city across the whole planet. Because spiritual fruit is not about you, it is about us. Notice what Paul says in verse 4 about the Colossians, that they've grown a love for all the saints, for people in Africa and Asia, in South America, all over the planet. It's not an individual thing that's happening, but a corporate one. He talks about in verse 8, their their love in the Spirit. This great reality that actually what God is doing in His Spirit across the whole of the planet is knitting together a whole community of people who trust the grace of God and who are awaiting heaven, awaiting heavenly treasure to come to this earth. And we're actually supposed to be looking for spiritual fruit everywhere. You might not be seeing fruit in your life. You might not be seeing fruit in Newtown. But I get we, uh, emails every month from my friend in the middle of nowhere in China and pictures of him baptizing people. And I have a friend in Siberia where it is literally colder than Antarctica at the moment who is reaping a harvest and discipling Russians. Wherever the grace of God is heard and understood in the heart, Spiritual fruit is happening and our eyes are to lift off ourselves and onto the people next to us and the people in our church, in the people in our city, in the people in our world where the gospel is bearing fruit. It's not about you, it's about us. We are a community knitted together, thanking God for the fruit we see and, and praying 
more, more, more. Send out your word by your spirit and conquer. You know, I have all of your names in a drawer under my desk. And I bring it out, and as best I can, as often as I can remember, I pray for you. Because it's not about me, it's about us. I set aside a day a week to pray for each of my friends in each corner of the globe. Because it's not about me, it's about us. Take up a thanksgiving project for the fruit you have seen in the people around you this year. For the fruit you have seen in God's world. And lift your eyes because the spiritual fruit is not about you, it is about us. That's the second thing. The third thing is kind of, well, if it's not about us, but the, you know, it's not about me, but it's about us, but how do I still grow fruit in me? How do I pray so that fruit grows everywhere? What, what kind of fruit am I praying for? What am I asking for? for? What am I looking to grow? And the third thing I think helps us, spiritual fruit is about pleasing God. Spiritual fruit is about pleasing God. That's what the prayer in kind of verse 9 and following really shows us. There's this beautiful dynamic in this prayer from Paul. Uh, It kind of of has two kind of parts to it. On the one hand, he prays that the Colossians would know God more deeply. And on the other, from that knowledge that they live a life he loves. Growing in intimate knowledge so that they live a life that he loves. Have a look. In verse 9 it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that what? And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Deepening knowledge of God's will that leads to a life that God loves. That's spiritual fruit. That's what we are to ask for. That's what we are to long for in ourselves and those around us and in God's world. On the one hand, I think that the knowledge he's talking about here, that he kind of requires a deep spirit-given insight and wisdom and understanding, is about knowing what God is like rather than knowing about him. It's about an intimate acquaintance with who God is in his person so that then we can live in a way he loves. It's kind of like... um, Cass, she's my wife. We've been together for 14 years. We dated for way too long. Way too long. And but we've been married for almost 10 now. And I know Cass quite well now. 14 years, there's a lot of mistakes you can make in that time. And I haven't read a book about her yet, but I've had lots of encounters with her. Close, proximate encounters. And from those encounters with her, I haven't just learned stuff about her. I've got to know her. So it happens when you run into someone all the time with your, your, your close friends and your family. You don't just know about them. You get the sense of how they'll respond to situations they've never even been in yet. You walk in somewhere and you get a sense of, of what's happening. I can walk into a room and, and see what's happening and look over at Cassie and know what's happening for her somewhat. I can't read her mind yet, but you know, there's hope. Um, I think that's the knowledge that's being talked about here. 
the slow accumulation through encountering God in his word by spirit that breathes a deep sense of who he is. So then when you walk through life, you know, I know what he would love here with these people in this place. I know what this, this workplace would be if it was a place that, that God loved. I know if I was to respond to this situation in a way that God loved, I know him and I know what, I know what that would look like, what would please him in this place. See how the two go hand in hand? And, and then Paul kind of takes it a bit further and unpacks it and, and, and there's kind of four kind of phrases that fill out this sense of what it means to live worthy of him. Uh, uh, the first one is that you, you bear fruit in every good work. You know, does the grace of God come to tangible effect in you? Are there concrete instances of the life that you live that demonstrate difference? impact that you don't just think about faith but you enact it and you bear fruit in it is that happening that's how to live worthy of him are you growing in the knowledge of god at the end of verse 10 do you have a deeper sense of who he is are you not just opening your bible but you're seeking his face seeking to know him seeking to understand his person Seeking through Scripture and the Spirit an encounter with who He is and growing in intimacy. You know, I struggle with that. I don't struggle to open my Bible each day. That's not my battle. I have lots of battles, but that's not one of them. My battle is opening the Word and actually getting to know God. Sometimes I find myself opening the Bible just so I don't feel guilty about not opening it later in the day, which is not great. What I should be doing is opening God's Word and saying, I really, really need to know you deeper today. Because how else will I know how to deal with what's coming my way? Are you growing in an intimate knowledge of him? And, and thirdly, are you bearing up in his strength, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience? One of the ways we live worthy of him is quite simple, actually. It's just called getting out of bed and saying, you know, Holy Spirit, let's go again today. Let's go again. It hasn't changed. It's the same as yesterday. And I think it's going to be awful and hard. But I'm willing to walk in faith and hope and love in your power and not my own. That is still worthy of him. And in things I've known in my life, it's often in those moments that God is actually deepening my sense of and growing more fruit in me than any other time. You know, I caught Cass the other day in our backyard ripping lemons off our lemon tree. And I, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't you like lemons? And she looks at me and she says, you know, it's a young tree. It's only a year old. If we don't rip its fruit off, it won't grow strong enough roots to endure. It won't be able to build mature fruit in the future. Living worthy of him sometimes is just about bearing up in the power of the Spirit under the weight of the things that he has given you to walk through. And that's okay. But spiritual fruit is walking in a way that he loves. Last thing I want to tell you about spiritual fruit is this. And this one maybe is a bit more about our context, but it flows from the text as well. I think one of the biggest Australian problems with spirituality, 
is whoever formed the white settlement, they seem to have walked up and turned the spiritual thermostat to apathetic. And no one's been able to shift the dial since. We are a country that doesn't like to go too full on into anything spiritual. And in the Christian walk, that often looks like kind of walking for a while and then getting to a point in life and you think, well, I'm kind of Jesus-like-ish and I kind of know a lot of the Bible now, so maybe we'll just put the car in park and we'll just sit here and we'll just wait for that heavenly treasure to come. That sounds pretty good. And kind of just the spark for knowing him, the spark for bearing up under things, the spark for living worthy kind of dies. The fourth thing is this, spiritual fruit is killed by spiritual apathy. But I think as Paul closes this section, he gives a potent antidote to apathy. To the Colossians, his problem really isn't apathy. He paints in clear spiritual terms the magnificent reality of the grace of God that they have experienced. He paints it so vividly that they won't be able to shake the sense that what Jesus has done Nothing else in heaven or on earth could possibly do. He talks of two realities. A dominion of darkness and a kingdom of light. And for Australians, that's terrifying because there's no neutral ground. There's no apathy space. According to Paul, you're either growing fruit from darkness or you're growing fruit from light. But the bigger reality that's here is that the grace and gospel of God is that he has already brought us out, rescued us out from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. This week I finally got to watch the movie Dunkirk. And I know I was supposed to see it in the cinema, but I didn't have time, so I'm sorry. It's supposed to be really good at the cinema. I feel really bad. But I finally saw it, and I can't shake the image of this beach. I don't know if you know this story, but um, all of the British Allied forces at the beginning of the Second World War are, are pushed back out of, out of France by, by Hitler's troops. They're, they're forced all up to the, the northern coast of France, and they all flee to the one spot, to Dunkirk, and they're on the beach, half a million, just under half a million British and, and other Allied troops, and they're all there, just waiting to die. Because the bombs keep coming, the Germans keep advancing. The boats that are supposed to save them keep getting bombed in the harbor. Churchill and his generals in London expect 30,000 of them to survive. I can't shake the imagination of that beach. Because one day, when they're sitting there in fear, waiting for the bombers to come. Across the horizon come hundreds of little boats. These are some of the exact ones. And one by one, these boats, they come, they come to the beach, they're little, they're hard to track, they're hard to stop, and they flood the beach. Boats from ordinary citizens. One soldier on the beach describes it, to see that ship that came in to pick me and my brother up, it was a most fantastic sight. 
and he, he falls asleep in the boat and he wakes up later and he sees the white cliffs of Dover and he says, the atmosphere, it was terrific. From heaven to hell was how the feeling was. You felt like a miracle had happened. Half a million troops under the dominion of darkness transferred into a kingdom of light. When you trust the grace of God, a spiritual Dunkirk occurs. And he ferries you out from a place where you should die into a kingdom of eternal life, into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The Son who was the one who left His Father's shore to die on the beach, to die on the cross, bearing our condemnation for the fruit we should have bore but didn't, so that we could go back to His Father's shore. He was the price, the redemption, who forgives our waywardness. And he has transferred us out of darkness into light. You see, when your heart gets that, there is no room for apathy. When you are living and breathing in that reality that no other spiritual reality on earth can give you. What I want to call you to tonight is to a new longing for fruit. To a longing this year to actually know God better. To actually concretely bear fruit in His name. Because of what He has done on your behalf. And I'm going to pray that in for you. And if you want to get prayed for that, um, then I'm going to, going to invite you into that. And if, if you're someone who's still on the beach in Dunkirk tonight, you're going to get ferried across. I'm going to pray for you too. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you don't leave us on the beach. But that you sent your perfect, fruitful Son who forever knew you to die and bring us across. For those here tonight who want to be ferried across to the kingdom of light, They thank you for your forgiveness and ask for passage in Jesus' name. For those who are looking at their life thinking it's about time for some fruit, Father, by your Spirit tonight, start something. Fill them up with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they might live worthy of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.